Hi there, thanks so much for listening again and thank you for all your support since we began this podcast back in July 2020. As we approach episode 700, we want to send you racing for just £10 and we've teamed up with Sandown Park to give you the opportunity to get tickets for Imperial Cup Day next Saturday, the 11th of March. There's no tricks, there's no gimmicks, they are yours. You just need to order them and put in a promo code. So head to the jockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Sandown forward slash events and the link is pinned to my Twitter profile at Nick Luck for half price tickets. You can get as many as four of them. There are 500 going, but they are running out fast. So do log on as soon as you can. Saturday, the 11th of March, Imperial Cup Day at Sandown Park and enter the code NL10, NL10 when prompted. And we will see you there. It's a great day's racing. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. The beginning of a new week, Monday, March the 6th. Though recording this episode Sunday evening because I've got to get a plane at home. But of course, we're only, we are only eight days away from the Cheltenham Festival 2023. And so much excitement, so much to look forward to. Be talking later in the programme to trainers Ben Pauling, who could be fielding 10, 12 horses at the Cheltenham Festival. More than most trainers, it has to be said, unless you're Mullins de Bromhead, Elliot Nichols Henderson. And to Ruth Jefferson, who might have just one, but it's in the Gold Cup. Sounds Russian. And much later in the show, I'll be wrapping up what I've been seeing in the United States over the last couple of days and be speaking to Kent DeZormo, who's older even than Frankie Dottori and won the big race at Santa Anita on Saturday night. From here at Gulfstream to back home in London and David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. Sunday morning, my interview with the BHA chief executive, Julie Harrington, aired on Racing TV. Tom Stanley was chairing luck on Sunday in my place. And he and Cornelius Lysett reacted to the interview. Uh, Dave, it's your chance now to react to, to what the, the boss of British Racing had to say, the impression that she left and the um, critique that she received uh, off the back of it. How's it, how's it gone down uh, back home? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think we're going to see five stars on the on, on the back of uh, the 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 Daily Mirror or the, the the Guardian or the Daily Express. An unqualified triumph, as you get with some of those uh, film reviews. Um, look, everybody knows Nick. My views on the whip. I was opposed to the. I, I'm, I'm essentially I'm opposed to the numbers. I have been since 2011. Uh, I think I probably will be until my dying day. Um, it's fair to say that there were mixed reviews uh, for uh, about Julie Harrington's appearance on Luck on Sunday. I commend you for getting the interview because uh, sightings of Julie Harrington are about as as common as as those of the the Loch Ness monster in recent weeks and months. Um, just a, a couple of comments on on what she said. Um, I thought it was it was odd that she should say that there were different schools of thought on whether the whip is a welfare issue one of the one of the um the tenets of the of the of the BHA's policy on the whip and it's one that people like me attach to is that they don't think 
think it's a welfare issue. It's a perception issue, issue and that's why people like me say, well, why aren't you trying to alter people's uh, perception? She said that everyone agrees it's a perception issue and it would be negligent to do nothing about it. Again, I would say that over the years, the BHA has done precisely nothing about it because they haven't sought uh, to alter uh, the public's perception. Just one final point before um, I talk about how it's been perhaps re received within the BHA. I didn't agree with what Julie Harrington and perhaps what the BHA, their policy about this being uh, about fairness. I know that um, if a horse is disqualified and a jockey has gone uh, more than four strikes over the limit, it's going to be in a... a a close finish. I, I get that. But I would have thought if the main principle of fairness, we wouldn't, um, if, if, if the, the principle of fairness is at the heart of this, then we shouldn't merely just be counting to 11 or 12. Uh, it, the, the stewards should have a look at it to, to see whether they think the whip use made any, um, any difference to the result as they do with interference. But the difficulty that Julie Harrington has got, it's not what the jockeys think it's not what the trainers think it's what the people the the upper echelons of the bha think now over the last few weeks i've been at various uh various dues where i've spoken to different people from different sectors uh, of the industry and the problem that julie harrington has is that we we've we talked at the start of this about her crits from luck on Sunday, but her crits from the Asian Racing Conference, what I'm hearing, were not very good. And they were particularly, what's particularly worrying for her is that they were not very good within the top brass of the BHA. Those are the people that she has got, th those are the people whose approval she needs, not the trainers, not the jockeys. And in that regard, from what I'm hearing over the last few weeks, uh, she's got negative poll ratings. Most politicians be they in sport or in the wider world when they're asked the question do you enjoy your job um they really should seize upon that question with relish and say yes of course i wouldn't do anything else of course there are challenges i want to embrace those challenges meet them head on um and and that's why i'm talking to you today and it, you could almost see the cogs whirring in Julie Harrington's head. They're saying, well, oh, God, how do I answer this? Um, which perhaps shows commendable honesty, but it, it wasn't necessarily what one would like to hear. Um, with regard to who's running racing, this goes back a couple of months, doesn't it, to the announcement of the uh, new governance structure uh, and and particularly the um, the way that the the veto process was was done away with and of course even though it it looked as though the bha was taking um greater control of the decision making what was really happening was that the um the decisions were being made perhaps a a floor or two lower in the building uh, with particularly the race courses still having um, a massive input and a massive um, a, a degree of control on uh, the formation of policy. And then it's sent up uh, to the top floor for the BHA to sign off. So uh, as we mentioned a couple of months ago, although it, to ostensibly the decision-making process has changed and the governance structure is uh, different to, to what it was, essentially, 
we know that it, 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 the way that it's going to turn out, the way that it works, it's pretty much the same as it was. All right, turning our attentions to to Cheltenham now, as of course we will be for the next two weeks, uh, both before and during the event, and try and get a little bit more uh, in-depth content from some of the connections as to who's going to run where, what their chances might be, horses that you're not completely familiar with, horses that haven't been dominating the headlines, trainers perhaps that you know have a, a few runners, but their runners aren't perhaps getting what the Mullins, the Elliot, the, the Bromhead, the Nichols, the Hendersons are. And, and Ben Pauling is certainly one of those. He's had an amazing season. He's still banging him in at 25 26%. And I put it to him that he he quite often pops up during Cheltenham week with a with a winner to confound us as he did last year with with Global Citizen. He's got a stronger team this time round. How many did he think he would run? Um, well, it could be anywhere between I don't know. There'll be six or eight definites, I suppose. We might run ten. Um, some mainly um, we've got horses for handicaps this year. Um, we haven't the, the novices either are either aren't quite ready or there's a, there's one novice amongst them I suppose but the majority are um, in the handicaps but um, hopefully some horses maybe the right side of the handicaps in particularly good form. Okay, I, I can just take one that I like that I've been eyeing up for this particular race for a little while and you can tell me whether I'm talking rubbish and that's shake him up, Harry, for the Grand Daniel. I thought two miles run at an absolutely breakneck peg might might be just what he wants. Yeah, he's in he's in good order. Um, I'm totally with you in the fact that's the race I'd like to run him in. We will need to see some rain um, before we could, you know, it really needs to be good soft, soft. And there is talk of rain around, especially the festival week. So we'll be keeping our options open um, because I agree that he probably is an outright, you know, he stays every yard of two miles and jumps very well. But... Um, he, you know, if it was tomorrow, we'd probably have to go for the plate and just ride him as a bit of a hold-up horse. But fingers crossed, with some rain on the forecast, we might see him in the Grand Daniel. Yeah, because that's a that's a ground issue, and of course there is the small issue of, of Global Citizen, who has won the Grand Annual before. Uh, is he going to run again? He's most definitely going to run again. Um, couldn't be happier with him. Actually, he came out of America. America just did not work. He lost about thirty kilograms. Um, didn't you know he couldn't do himself justice on the day and he, he came home a bit of a shell of a horse so we've given him plenty of time he had a lovely prep run there um, at Wincanton there a fortnight ago um, and I couldn't believe how long he stuck in there considering the amount we'd actually got done with him before the race um, so he seems in good health with himself he looks big and strong which is important and I'm sure he'll give a bold bit of bold bid to try and you know recreate last year but he's now 11 another year older but um in in great order yeah and and not badly weighted either a night in Lambourne's another one with Cheltenham experience has won and run well there is in the Kim Muir is that is that on the on the on the uh, agenda yeah she's she had a nice break after November um did, she went to um, Kempton there last Tuesday for racecourse gallop went nicely um took a bit of a blow sort of a furlong out but just what we needed to see really she showed all the enthusiasm and Jack Andrews will uh go again with her in the Kim Muir and she just she's 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 got plenty of um tactical speed so hopefully you know she'll be able to lay up early doors and 
you know, who knows? She seems to love the track, so hopefully she can improve again. And where she sits, then I don't know, but she'll be competitive. And you've got loads of horses entered in that race. Harper's Brook and Harper's Brook's got entries everywhere as well. Slipway. Uh, I heard uh, Gina Andrews suggesting the other day she might be riding Slipway. Is that right? And Malinello, you've got in there as well. What 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 are they all going to yeah. do? Yeah, Gina rides Slipway, um, a horse that we like a lot, and um, we've been running him over marathon trips. But he doesn't need a marathon trip at all. He's got plenty of class, uh, and a drop back into that sort of race for him, I think, could suit well. Um, you know, he's a very good jumper. He didn't get, he just nothing went right for him up on Musselburgh. He was, from the word go, he was boxed in and not enjoying it. And you can just sort of draw a line through that race, but he seems in good form. And, you know, I'd like to think both of those would be nice rides and great to secure Jack and Gina for them. Okay. There's these two horses that you've never run before that have come from France that are in the in the boodles, Bad and and Gipco. They're only twenty and twenty five to one respectively. I mean, you're about the only person who's going to know whether they're well handicapped or not. Yeah, I mean, so firstly, Gipco only arrived with us last week. Um, <laughs> so you might not know whether he's well handicapped. Huh? You might not know whether he's well handicapped. Well, I mean, all I know is that I th- I'm very pleased with the marks that both horses have been given um, by the English handicapper off their French form. I was sort of expecting mid-130s. So, um, Bad is a definite runner. Jipco um, will see where we are this week. He's a lovely horse, he's a very free-moving horse, and he's travelled over very well. So, I'm not ruling him out either. Um, there could be I've spoken to Andrew and Jane Megson about Jipco um, who bought him and we might even supplement him for the Triumph um, only simply because I think the race might suit better than the um, than the Boodles um, so we're not quite sure on Jipco but yeah Bad is lovely horse he's done everything we could hope for um, he's a very slick jumper and Nico de Boinville will take the ride uh, excellent I mean th- these are the sort of horses that you'd really be interested in because it's, as you say that it's not inconceivable they could have a fair bit up their sleeve and I noticed bad is in the the colors of David Howden who's be, uh, had a number of good flat horses is this his, is this his first jumper uh, he's in, he's got 25% of two horses uh, in the yard, and but it's the first jumper in his own name, um, and it's great to have him on board. Um, really looking forward to the day, and I think the whole Howden family are going to come along. So yeah, it's great, and um, I think he's got a nice one. Whether it goes our way in the Boodles or not, uh, he's got a nice horse for the future. I mean, you've got active duty, and of course Samuel Spade, who's the most obvious one in the in the, in the uh, boodles does that mean you could actually run three potentially four in that yeah i don't think active duty will get in um he's he was progressing really nicely and the foot the run uh in the triumph hurdle trial was very positive i very pleased beating 10 lengths in that race i thought that was about spot on and then we took him to market race and to to dot up and he just from flag drop didn't really handle the track they went a million miles an hour he looked a bit out on his head um, and so I would suggest he's better on a Cheltenham track than he is a tight right handed flat track but to me he's going to miss the cut so active duty probably won't get in but 
Uh, Samuel Spade, on the other hand, from the day I bought him, he was a big, you know, big, powerful, you know, strong horse. Um, and he did everything wrong and won at Kempton on the 27th um, at their Christmas meeting. And the horse that was second has since won, well, he actually won the market raisin race by 25 lengths. So forms right there. And of course, he then gave eight pounds to Perseus Way in the Chasters Fen. Uh, got beat three lengths and and then Perseus Way has gone on to be second just beaten in the um, in the Adonis yeah Hampton race in the Adonis the other day so he's looking quietly well handicapped and it was lovely to see him it, was, it wasn't a great race at Huntingdon but Samuel Spade had to make his own running something he hadn't done he learned plenty and he, he won it as he should so I think he's a fast improving horse and I suppose probably nearly our best chance on on on, on form known in england that was ben pauling and i i think yeah, the interesting point to take out of there david these are these unraced in britain four-year-olds we've seen this before in the boodles it's not impossible that one of them could run in the the triumph hurdle itself and get a supplementary so he's adding a bit of interest to what is a thin division this side of the irish sea that's for sure well it's it's just an incredible year and a bit, isn't it? That the the training partnership of Ben and Sophie Pauling have had. Just for anybody who doesn't know, um, they acquired the well. It wasn't really much of a training facility. The Norton Downs Golf Club in uh, Gloucestershire. Um, they they'd visited among others uh, Joseph O'Brien's yard, and and they they took various bits from different training establishments as ideas to create uh, this state-of-the-art training facility. And hasn't it worked so well? In, in the early stages of this season, they were knocking in winners at, at 25%. And I think most of us thought, well, when a when a trainer has a new facility, we're, we're, we're perfectly used to seeing um, the need for a year or two to bed down and, and things that, that perhaps they don't hit the ground running. Nothing could be further from the truth with Ben Pauling. And even now, I'm looking at the stats for this season, overall, 22%, that's 70 winners from 318 runners, 14% is the strike rate over hurdles, 26 from 189. Bumpers, 4 from 15, 27%. But chases, 40 winners from 114 runners, a staggering 35%. Overall, they're still operating at 22%. So over 1 in 5 and just shy of 1 in 4. So even though you would expect the... Um, that percentage to have gone down, I think, as as the season has progressed, it stayed pretty much where it is. And as you say, uh, that's very encouraging from a yard who pops up with a winner at Cheltenham. And it, it certainly looks as though they're in a, a pretty strong position to do so once more. Yeah, lots of horses there that I thought were interesting at prices as well, particularly, as I say, those, those four-year-olds that you won't have heard of necessarily before. Uh, just a, a few little bits and pieces to tidy up over the weekend. This um this relationship between Gordon Elliott and Davy Russell is interesting. We we got wind of it last week where sort of Elliott was wondering whether both his jockeys would be fit and Jack Kennedy wasn't in the end, and then sort of said he hadn't heard from Russell for a couple of weeks, and then Russell came on this podcast and said, "No, I'll be fine if needed." Slightly pointedly, and then it seems as though yes, he is going to be given some rides at Cheltenham now. But Gordon said, "Well, he won't have it all his own way." Jordan Gameford will be getting quite a few uh, as well. So um, 
it, it certainly it certainly doesn't seem as though Davy Russell is going to get everything that he that he wants. No, but the 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 flashpoint, the potential flashpoint has been avoided, hasn't it? Because as of Friday, Jack Kennedy visited his surgeon and pretty early in the day, Gordon Elliott announced that he wouldn't be riding at the Cheltenham Festival. Now, of course, he said that the um, the rides would be split between Davy Russell, Jordan Gainford and Sam Ewing. But really, most, most owners uh, who are uh, attached to the stable with with the greatest respect to Jordan Gainford and Sam Ewing, who I'm sure will be, will, 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 will occupy uh, the stage at Cheltenham in years to come. Would you really pass up the opportunity of having Davy Russell? Um, yes, he's 43. Yes, he retired, but only for three weeks. Um, look at the experience he brings uh, to the Cheltenham festival. So with, with Jack Kennedy out of the way, this flashpoint has has been avoided because I, I suspect reading between the lines, um, if Jack Kennedy had been fit, I I, I find, find this hard to believe. I, I would have thought that Davy Russell would have wanted to ride at Cheltenham come what may. But I think that that belief is is probably mistaken, and that he was um, he was perhaps not keen on the idea of. Uh, going there and and riding the second strings and, and I think that might have been a bone of contention between himself and Gordon Elliott but that's been avoided now um he, he'd had just two rides of course since he had that fall at Sandown a couple of weeks ago but he had another uh, couple of rides at, at Leopardstown this afternoon was successful on one of them uh feast doodery uh, he was interviewed by um, Gary O'Brien for Racing TV and said he'd be riding quite a bit more now in the run-up to Cheltenham and good. that everything is okay. Excellent. That's good news. Always adds plenty to the party. Uh, do, we, do we expect him to ride conflated in the Gold Cup? I, I presume yeah. we do, do we? Yeah, I think so. Um, I spoke to Eddie O'Leary yesterday, brother and racing manager uh, to Ryanair boss Michael O'Leary. Um, I said, I assume that Dave is going to ride conflated and in that way of his, Eddie said, oh, you should never assume anything. And so I said, right, go on. He said, well, look, um, Davey has history, good and bad, with Conflated. Of course, he was on board when the, the horse fell in the Ryanair chase uh, last year. But he did say, I haven't spoken to Gordon yet, but I would assume that Davey is going to ride Conflated. Of course, in this case, um, Jordan Gameford has that excellent relationship with Hewick and he's likely to ride him in the Gold Cup. So uh, that pretty much ties up the ends as we would expect. Eclipse award-winning steeplechase champion, of course, Hewick, for his exploits uh, here in America uh, and not been seen since that victory in the American Grand National. J.P. McManus has been perhaps even more acquisitive than normal in the run-up to, to Cheltenham. We saw that he he was uh, going to now have a dream to share to run in the bumper. Um, the horse that was formerly owned by Brian Gleeson, still trained by John Kiley. He'll still be ridden by Brian Gleeson's son, John, in the, in the Cheltenham bumper, incidentally. Second favourite for that. And he's also bought... Dave, out of the yard of Emmett Mullins. This was confirmed just after our podcast went up on, on Friday. That's right. He's bought uh, Corbett's Cross, who stays with Emmett Mullins. Um, I think the fourth horse now that uh, J.P. McManus has bought from owner Paul Byrne, who didn't have Corbett's Cross uh, for that long. This, um, is a, this is a great bit of business from Paul Byrne. He must have had to pay to Eugene O'Sullivan a, a 
small fortune for the horse. He was he was he was good before he got him. I'd imagine he's got a small fortune and some for him now. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um of course, the, the same um, owner, Paul Burns, sold uh, J.P. McManus the shunter, um, who was in action at, at Kelso at the weekend. Um, the thing I find interesting with this one, though, Nick, is that I am I am wondering whether we're going to see Corbett's Cross at the Cheltenham Festival. He's the 72 favourite for the, um, the Albert Bartlett Novices Hurdle on Friday week. Now... Um, of course, Emmett Marlins, after the horse had won at Nace last Sunday, he, he basically said that this horse could, you know, he, he could he could run over fences, he could run over hurdles, uh, he could enter the boat race and the Eurovision Song Contest, but I can't tell you uh, which one of those. And I think at the time, most of us thought, well, come on, he'll go for the Albert Bartlett. But just talking to Frank Berry um, yesterday, he said... Um, he said it's up in the air whether he travels or he doesn't travel. He wouldn't be certain. We'll be speaking to Emmett about the whole job and where he goes if he goes. And obviously the, the issue with Corbett's Cross is that, A, they've bought him, it seems, as a steeplechaser of the future. Um, but the, the the issue, I think, will be the drying ground. Remember that um, the two wins before he uh, won at Nace, they were at Limerick and Ferry House on pretty much deep ground it was drying terrain and of course he stepped back to two miles uh to win that johnstown novice hurdle but i think maybe if it did get uh quickish come gold cup day and there are different weather forecasts in the offing at the moment i suspect that those words of warning might have something in them um even though he heads the market for the albert Bartlett. All right, well, the last time we spoke to, to Ruth Jefferson on the podcast was when Tom was in the hot seat, and there was still a question mark, I think, about whether Sounds Russian would have gone to, to Kelso over the weekend. He didn't, and he goes to the, he goes to the Gold Cup. Ruth, are you, are you pretty happy with the decision you've made? Um, I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> um, to be honest, <laughs> that's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? But, you no, know, look, he's eight years old. He's improved Ever, you know, from race to race, hasn't he? Um, it, he's going to have to step up, and he's going to have to step up a bit, quite a bit. But Jonas um, were keen to have a go, and you can't blame them for that. They've never had a horse this good before. You know, they've never had one capable of capable of taking them to these sort of days. And you know, they really wanted to see, you know, how he'd get on in a race such as that. So that's where we're going. At the beginning of the season, is this? Is this sort of what you expected? Did you think you might be in this position? I was hopefully be a graded horse. Um, whether I've ever... Tr- I've never tried to convince myself it was a grade one horse. Been, you know, we've, we've had them. Um, and he's certainly... He's not a waiting patiently. He's a different type of horse to him. So I never tried to convince myself it was a grade one horse. But I thought... If he, if he continued to improve on last year, which was possible, because he was only lightly raced, that he would go to some bigger days. Obviously, the Gold Cup wasn't really the, you know, the forefront of my mind, but you know, that's where we are. What, what were your reflections on that, on that Cotswold chase? What, what pleased you the most? What aspects of the performance did you think were most, were most noteworthy? him something the more he argues you're better off leaving him alone and 
I think Sean will have learned that from riding him. That if you leave him alone, he'll get from A to B. Look, he, he almost hurdles a fence. He doesn't really, you know, he, he's not. He gets out of the way and and all that, but he hurdles a fence. And I think when Sean asked him for a big one, it was probably unnecessary because he he actually, if you watch him down the back, he was giving him a lot of big jumps anyway. Um, I was conscious of the fact he's hit a flat spot in some of his races where the beam slow ran and then sprinted. So I did say to Sean to let him go on if it slowed down, and he did. And look, he didn't do a lot wrong, did he? Um, he, you know, he finished second. Yeah, he got beat at the end of the day. But he didn't do a lot wrong. And I think Sean will have learned a lot from riding him. Um, but I was pleased with how he handled the track, the day, and them sort of things. What what set of circumstances do you think, Ruth, gives you the best chance of, of obtaining the best possible placing? What, what would you like to see happening? I don't think it matters. Um it's quite a versatile horse. If it's slow, Rani can go forward. If it's fast, Rani can just sit out the back and wait for them to come back to him. Saying that, it's a gold cup. They're not necessarily going to come back to him in the same way they would in a handicap or something like that. Um, I was pleased to see a little bit of rain in the forecast because I know he handles soft ground better than some. Um, so long as I'm happy while I'm watching the race, which is a trader thing, if, it, if you're happy watching where your horse is in the position in a race and you're happy the whole way around, then I can only ask that he runs to his best and obtains the best possible position. I don't know what that will be. And um, I, I, but he's, look, he's versatile, isn't he? he? You know, his ground and trip and how he's ridden, he's versatile. So I can't really ask for anything because he'll adapt to what happens on the day. And, and I appreciate that you are a, a pragmatist, a realist. You're not someone who is a, a, a wild, a wild dreamer or prone to exaggeration. Um, however, it's not getting any easier to get for any any trainers outside the, the humongous battalions to get horses running in grade one races at the Cheltenham Festival, let alone the Gold Cup. Um, what effect does that have on the yard as a whole? We're not a big team, but you know these races. Even Flint Hill winning the Stayer Series, you know the last pull one has been good this year, and it's nice for them to have a horse. Like I ride Bruce out every day, you know, and I look after him. But it's nice for them to have a horse that they can hope can go do well, and you know they'll benefit from it as well, you know, financially, but also just we've had nice horses, and the team that worked with me, most of them, you know they've been with us a while so they were there in the Cape Tribulation days they were there in the Cloudy Dream days the Mount View days you know I, like I remember riding Dato Star out you know, that's, you know so they've been with us a long time and they've had good horses and they enjoy a good horse when, when one comes along It's been a sensational weekend's action here in the United States obviously the Kentucky Derby preps, if you want to call them those, the San Felipe in California and the Fountain of Youth will dominate many of the headlines. But the most historically prestigious race run was the Santa Anita Handicap, um, colloquially known as the Big Cap. And it was won for the third time by Kent DeZormo, 21 years after the second of his previous victories. Best pal in Milwaukee Brew, the other two, it was Stiletto Boy on, on Saturday evening. Uh, and Kent, this was a bit of vintage, I thought, from, from you. Um, talk me through the, the race and how satisfying it was to be to be back in the big cap big time. Well, Stiletto, oh, I was thrilled. Uh, no, for real. Uh, it, what what a... Uh, um a come full circle event for me to be on Stiletto Boy after I missed his ride a year ago in Florida. Um, mounting him, I'd, I had never seen him 
uh, carry so much weight. Uh, I'd never be, I've never, I've never seen him be so settled. Um, I, I mean, to me, he had shown a great deal of maturity and uh, and uh, a, a tremendous amount of mental growth. So uh, I, I thought I was riding a different horse, and I'd loved him when I was riding him last year. So, um, you know, he knocked on the door and knocked on the door, and he brought his A game. And uh, Ed, Ed had him, you know, actually, obviously trained to the, I would say, to the head victory. Uh, it wouldn't be trained to the minute. It was trained to a head. Um, and uh, he helped me out with the ride, the trainer did. He explained to me that he wanted me to go for the lead, intent for it, and make if they if you don't make it, make them take it from you. And that's that. You know, I I took those instructions and I used them. Um, fortunate enough for me, uh, I was able to get them dream ride down the backside, where uh, the two front runners, um, I, I was able to split them, and the horse was actually as if cantering alone on his own. So uh, no dirt in his face, no one around him. Um, I, I took a look in my rearview mirror and I knew I had the horse up uh, on the inside that he would challenge soon, but where could he go? You know, there's a wall in front of him. I was confident that the guys in front of me are not gonna leave the, the, the fence open. Um, it got, the, the most trying moments in the race for jockey and horse were Going into the four, in, into the uh, four turn, um, the he, the pocket got tight. Uh, the dirt started hitting him in the face, and I had to work aggressively, jockeying for position to clean his face again. Um, and the only way I was able to do that was the little boy moved forward. So he moved forward. I was able to find the pocket again, and unfortunately for us, I had a horse inside of me, a horse outside of me and two in front of me so there was nowhere for me to go either all the while riding hard to to maintain the position um now we move on to the quarter pole uh i was able to ensure an outward position no one in my path um he was on his own and he literally took off and i stopped riding him i was like whoa not too fast there pal um and and he carried me till turning for home pretty much on his own merit. Now I was able to ride him before and I know when I give him those disarmo crosses, he always adds more effort. So I shook him up there, turning for home after he threw his lead changes and he progressed. Um, I, I encouraged him further uh, with alter, uh, alter matters and he progressed more. And then the, the the final 200 yards, I finally encouraged him again with more crosses, and he progressed. And I didn't think it was going to be enough. I, I I had accepted that he ran a a, a, a dutiful race, but he was going to fall short again. I was feeling sad for him, and then um, he 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 just he took off, and I was like, I didn't do anything. Well, where are we going? You're going to win, buddy, and he won, and. I didn't even know there was a horse challenging on the outside because I was so busy screaming and and my eyes were on the horse to the left of me. I wasn't aware I was being challenged from the outside. And he gave one last ditch effort to beat the horse coming on the outside. And that is why he won. 
Uh, he did it. Stiletto Boy did it. He he refused to lose. I've interviewed so many riders on this podcast in the 690-odd episodes we've done. I don't think I've ever had such a vivid description of riding in a race than that. And it's been a joy to listen to. For you personally, as you say, the full circle with this horse, the the ride you missed a year ago, and full circle in the race as well. 21 years since your your last victory in it. You've ridden plenty of good horses in, in the interim. But Ken, how important is it to get on one of those what you'd call old-fashioned high-class handicap horses in the U.S., as they used to be called, that can take you through the year and take you to all those big gigs like he can? Well, the importance for me is easy to answer, Nick, is the fact that I'm back playing at the top echelon of riders. So that's where it puts me. This was what I longed for. It it took, it took time. I mean, I, I'm not patting myself on the back, but my name is Ken Sarmo. I am in the Hall of Fame. I've done a lot of things on the racetrack. I had some off-track problems, but I am now back at it on track with the best. That's what it means. And we've spent quite a lot of time, some would say too much time, uh, pouring over Frankie Dottori's retirement year. You were born in the same year, I think, 70, weren't you, 1970? I, I think so. I think we're maybe six or eight months apart. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's right, and I think you might even be you. I think you might be um, a few months his, his senior as well. It's a it's a hell of a it's a hell of a jockeys group now in in California. Suddenly, isn't it? Absolutely. I, you, we had Joe Bravo to the mix, so we we the the uh, we we the wisest of the bunch are having fun. <laughs> well, that... you notice I didn't say the old guys. <laughs> well, that, that was never in doubt. Uh, Ken, thanks for talking to me, uh, and uh, many congratulations on a on a super ride uh, on Saturday night. Always nice to talk to you, Nick. Keep it up. We love listening to you. All right, that was Ken DeZormo there. I don't think I've ever heard such a vivid description of what it is like to ride in a top-class race. My thanks to him, my thanks to Ruth Jefferson and also uh, to Ben Pauling for an interview of some depth earlier on. To Dave Yates, of course, as always. And Dave, you've got a winner for me. I hope so. Um, it's in the 205 race at Weatherby this afternoon, the conditional jockeys uh, handicap chase. And it is Trevelyan's Corn. Uh, this horse uh, was second to Into Overdrive twice last spring. Hasn't really won very well, uh, run very well since then, but now comes back to two and a half miles. They put cheek pieces on. Emma Smith-Chaston rides this in, in this conditionals event. Drying ground, I think, will be a help, plus a falling handicap mark. So if all those planets do align, we might be looking at a tasty winner. It's in the 205 race at Weatherby. It's number two, Trevelyan's Corn. All right, Dave, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday the 6th of March, and I will be back again from TW11 tomorrow morning. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.